Hello and welcome to this new episode to all the Born in the Battle community. My name is Pablo Meza, an Air Force veteran, and as always, this podcast is brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs. In this podcast, our aim is to highlight the important benefits, services, and resources provided by the VA. Today is Tuesday, November 14th, 2023. But before we get started, I want to give a shout out to all the listeners we've had over the past five years. You guys have been critical to our success, and hopefully you've gotten great information from episodes from previous seasons. I am excited to say that we've reached the 1 million download, uh, so that's pretty exciting. And our goal is to provide great information, awesome guests, and stories that can help the veteran community in any way. With that said, we have a great episode and a terrific guest today. He is a distinguished pulmonary and critical care physician, an associate professor of medicine at the University of Miami, and the committed staff member at the Miami VA Medical Center. Specializing in lung cancer, our guest leads in both clinical practice, employing advanced bronchoscopic techniques, and in research, focusing on improving lung cancer treatment efficacy. Additionally, his team plays a pivotal role in lung cancer advocacy, education, and a groundbreaking screening program at the Miami VA Medical Center. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome to the show, Dr. Gregory Holt. So we're very, very happy to have Dr. Holt with us, and uh, and this is just a really good opportunity to uh, talk about the message that he's excited to talk about. Well, thanks for the invitation, Pablo. Call me Greg, of course. Um, happy, really, really happy to be here. Uh, it's a very important subject, of course, with the month of November coming up, and I'd really love to get a lot of our a lot of the things that the Miami VA and the VA in general is doing for our veterans. You know, I'm going to go ahead and just kind of right away jump into uh into the very first question just because uh a lot of people might not know what lpop is so can you just kind of break it down sure. a little bit of what lpop uh stands for yeah exactly so it is an unusual uh program that just started and we aren't used to this you might say um it's it's the lung precision oncology program and it nicknamed lpop then because of that it's born out of a national program called NPOP, the National Precision Oncology Program that the VA started about four years ago now. The idea behind it is as oncology becomes more sophisticated, there are a lot of really great techniques and therapies that just have to be given to our veterans or anybody with cancer in general, because otherwise it's just not standard of care but it's becoming more difficult to actually get patients into doing and getting those therapies if there's not a coordinated effort. I mean, cancer care, it used to be easier and now it's become complicated. So this is a program to truly try to assist us in making sure everyone gets exactly what they need, that state-of-the-art care that they deserve. And so the oncology, the precision oncology part of it is that I always sort of try to make a, a mimic of what we do is we look at your tumor, we open it up, we look inside, we find out what broke. And when you find out what broke, we can then use a, a targeted therapy that only fixes what broke. Think of it like your car. If your car has like a, a, a carburetor that blew, you fix the carburetor, the engine's fine again. It's kind of the same idea in precision oncology. You find out what broke. You put a drug in there to fix what broke. It actually has a better effect efficacy with a with less toxicity. And it's really we want to cure cancer, but we're starting to make cancer a disease you die with, not from. And that's really the cool part about this. But to do that, it takes 
a lot. And that's this LPOP program. And truly with LPOP, what we're doing is we want to, the ideal part would be to prevent lung cancer from ever happening. And that part is the, the smoking cessation part that comes out of LPOP. Really working towards not just smoking cessation, but we know a lot of, a lot of, a lot of soldiers who went overseas got exposed to a lot of these inhalational toxins. Same problem. Like it doesn't matter how those things got into your lung or into your body, you're still at risk. And so we really want to screen people uh, to find lung cancer early. We find it early. It's a curable disease. You find it late. We don't like talking about stuff like that, but we are still able to treat those folks. It's not like a death sentence like it used to be. It's now a disease that is highly treatable. I got a lot of veterans over at the Miami VA right now. We never thought they'd be seeing the number of holidays they've seen, and they just continue to see holidays because the medicine works so well as long as it gets applied, and that's what LPOP does. We take people, we screen them for lung cancer, and then if you get found to have something in your lung, this is a scary time. You know, when you really think about it, what a horrible thing. Who cares if you smoked or not? That's not your fault. But if you find something on your lung, whether you smoked or not, you're going to be nervous because that lung cancer is like the boogeyman out there that everyone's afraid of. And, and they should be because it's the number one cancer related killer of us all. Like hands down, it is it is far more people die of lung cancer than the other top three being breast, prostate and colon combined. They're now actually equal, but that's terrible that it's still so much higher number of people are dying of lung cancer. So you get a spot on your lung and now you don't know what to do. And there's all this, there's this fear that you have about it, but we now have people, we have these lung cancer screening coordinators and we've got tumor navigators and these people just help assist in getting you what you need. So they're going to help walk you through a pretty complicated medical system. When you think about it anymore, how do you get to here? What are these appointments? All these things that we as medical professionals, it's what we do all day, but the person who's got a spot on their lung has no idea. They've never been through this. So these talented individuals, they're, they're wonderful. I love them. Lily and May are just amazing. These people, they work hard. They, they're personable. They call people. They, they, the veterans can call them if they get lost, just don't know what floor to go to, and they'll direct them right to where they got to go, right? And then you get diagnosed, and we have some really amazing tools done at the Miami VA Medical Center. We got this robotic bronchoscopy. It's basically GPS for your lung. It's unbelievable. This thing has... We do a CAT scan, special CAT scan of the lung, and it makes that GPS map, right? It makes this wonderful roadmap. You put in there where exactly you want to go. The robot tells me how to get there. It's like, go left, go right. You're five centimeters away. You're four centimeters away. And I can biopsy it by this really like cool, minimally invasive technique that is cutting edge. This is, this is what everyone who has like the most advanced stuff has. And I'm really happy we got it because... We've been able to really make some nice diagnoses in people that otherwise it would be hard to do for them. And you do it earlier. So then you think about it. Now you got cancer and you're, you are afraid and, and you should be because it's, it's a disease you don't want to have. And so now we have other people that are now going to help you as we walk you again through the medical system, getting you to, do you need to go to surgery? Do you need to go to radiation? Do you have to go to oncology? Do you have to go to all three? Do you need to get certain lines placed so you can get chemotherapy? Where do you get your labs? Where do you come? What do you do when you're sick and can't make it? Like we have all these people who help out in LPOP to allow us then to get people through the medical system. So this really frightening time in your life You've got a Betty. You got this friend who's going to be able to come with you and just help you through it. And then what I like to think about LPOP is 
you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a half clinical program that the VA has put out there. And this idea of helping and, and, and just escorting, assisting people as they go through the system, I love that. That's phenomenal, right? But you think about it, we haven't cured this disease yet. And wouldn't you love to have either a better screening test, a better way to prevent someone from getting this disease, a better way of treating it? So, I mean, even some of our, our, our precision oncology drugs that have like less toxicity, they're still toxicity and people are still dying of lung cancer. So we have to learn more about this disease. And the way we think about this is, you know, when, especially in the veterans world, and this is something I, I, I just love working at the veterans hospital for. If you think about all the folks who went into the military, they went in there with a purpose. They have this, they have this desire to serve. They have a desire to serve their country, their fellow soldier, their fellow citizen, or serve it just doing good, right? Well, that didn't change the moment that their active service stopped. That stays with them. But they now don't always have an outlet for that service. And what I think about is this now gives them a new enemy. And this is something that has resonated really well with a lot of our veterans. I didn't come up with this. This came up. I've got, I've got these two veterans who assist me. I should say three veterans uh, who assist me in, in sort of helping. How do we apply our research to assist the veterans so that we can cure their disease, prevent their disease? Like that's the goal. So what we talk about is the new enemy is lung cancer. And so we're just bringing the battle to lung cancer now. We're taking that fight to lung cancer. No longer is it the old enemies. This is the new fight. And so as someone is sort of going through this clinical pipeline from screening, finding a nodule that we start to follow, finding one we're a little bit more suspicious of, doing a biopsy, getting a biopsy of it, getting a diagnosis of it, and then heading into therapy, we have all these clinical studies that go along with it, with the idea then that we can start to learn more so that the next veteran, you know, like that idea that you're going to for the next veteran sitting in the chair that they're sitting in will have that much better data, tools, tests, therapies to either prevent or treat or cure this disease for them. And it's been really wonderful to be a part of. I, I it just, it's one of those things. It's like, you know, I love what I do. I really do. Like this is, it comes, this, this is, I, I feel like God put me in the right place for this. Right. But this just went over and above, like the ability just to be there and see just, really work with people now towards a common goal. It gives you that really, we're in this together. This is this is the fight we're making. You, you know, just hearing you talk about LPOP and, and what it means to you. As a veteran, I'm so happy to know that we have doctors like this at the VA. But just to know that, you, you know, this is something that is, is, is kind of a, a fire for you is, is really uh, I love something it. great. I absolutely hear. love it. Yeah, you know, I absolutely love it. You, you mentioned right now uh, the veterans are getting to see more and more holidays. Uh, can you let me know uh, how the approach of, uh, because we know that LPOP is, is focused on individualized treatment, right? right? Can you let me know how that approach influenced the success rate uh, in battling lung cancer for, for veterans? Yeah, so... If you get a tumor anymore, when you really start thinking about the old school, like I always nicknamed it as grandpa's chemo, right? Grandpa's chemo used to kill the tumor, but it killed the patient as well. 
It was always killing fast growing cells, right? And so you, the hope was you'd kill the tumor faster than you would kill grandpa, but we know that just didn't really work as well as we wanted it to. It was the best we had. I am by no means putting down our previous thoughts. This was all we had, but that's why, this is why research works, right? We start to advance the science. You really feel it. Like you really start to see these advancements. And even though, like this is the worst part of lung cancer, if you ask me, lung cancer funding lags behind all the others. I'm not saying I, I was hoping, you know, I, that we shouldn't be doing breast cancer and colon cancer. I love it that we do. You look at breast cancer, it's the poster child for how research works. They've got great funding and now breast cancer is a is a great, that's, it's not a great disease, but it's it's a great poster child showing that research improves outcomes. We've got to do the same in lung cancer. But honestly, despite that like lack of lung cancer funding, I'd say lung cancer is somewhat leading the charge of what we call this precision oncology. And my heart is immunotherapy. That's what I did my PhD in. Absolutely love immunotherapy. The idea that the immune system can go around your body and kill your tumor, man, that just, that's, it just like sings to how you really want our world to come out. You want it to be this, let the body heal itself. You know, we joke around that you want to amuse the patient where the body heals itself, but that's true, man. You really, you want to make sure that the body can be as strong as it can to do what we know it needs to do with the assistance of these medicines. So how do these medicines work and how do they improve outcomes? Well, we do this thing we call next generation sequencing. So if you get diagnosed with a lung cancer, we do something called, it's it's called this next generation sequencing, NGS. And what it is, is we look at the mutations that are in that tumor. So if you think about a tumor, something broke, you know, that, that, that sort of euphemism I use that we open the tumor, you look inside, you see what broke. That's really what that means. Next generation sequencing, it sequences the genes that are in that patient's tumor, finds out what broke, what mutation, where was it? And then we have certain drugs that are already approved for treating this, but we've got this whole host of drugs that we're still developing to do the same thing, to just target what broke and fix it. If you don't do next generation sequencing, you don't know what broke. And then you go back to a, a, a sort of grandpa, old grandpa's chemo, right? Stuff that we know it has, F, it has efficacy, but it, there's better. There, and there will be even better -er. I know that's not English, but you know what I mean? It's gonna be even better once we learn that much more how to fix each of the little things that could break in a tumor. And that's the problem with cancer. There's so many, you know, when it used to be, we had, we knew about five of them. And now there's so, like we have this, this little graph of, of over 50 different tumor mutations that are somewhat commonly gonna cause tumors. And that keeps growing every day. And that's the thing that we want to do. We want to learn, what drug based on what broke? Because that's what LPOP does. Everyone who comes in and gets a tumor, we push to get that next generation sequencing. And then we're also pushing to see this thing called PDL1. So PDL1 is it's the program death ligand one. Sounds morbid and it's awful, but it's it's a it's a, a marker on your tumor cells and it's all over your body actually. And it's the way the immune system just regulates itself. The immune system is tightly regulated, it has to be, otherwise we we would just be, we would use up too much energy. And so it does it through this PDL1 system so that if a tumor has that on it and an immune cell comes in to try to kill that tumor cell, if the tumor cell has that PDL1, it blocks the T cell, that immune cell from working. And so there's a class of drugs, we call them immunotherapy, that just blocks that interaction. And really what it's doing is it's unleashing. It's awesome. It unleashes 
the body's native immune response against the tumor so it can kill that tumor. It's beautiful. And, and obviously I'm biased. This is what I did my PhD. And I, I, this just, this stuff just makes, this is, I could talk about this forever, but that is only able to be applied if you test for it. And that's really, this is what I'm saying when it's, it's this complicated system anymore. It's, it's no longer just look under a microscope, see what it is and use drugs. It's now sequence those genes, find out what broke, learn what the immune system's doing. And then there's even, I mean, to add more complexity, everyone's just a little different. Thank God we're all a little different. And our bodies react to drugs just slightly different than someone else's. It's called pharmacogenomics. And it's basically everybody's system is just going to react to the medicines a little bit different. So we can start now even to look at how your body would react to this certain therapy we have. And maybe you're one of the people it's just not going to be effective. Of. Before we had this field, you never knew it until you'd take you know, six cycles of this and it wouldn't work. Now we can test you up front for this and learn right off the bat, this isn't going to work. So rather than wasting, say, four months of your life taking these toxic chemicals into your system that are going to treat a tumor, just not in you, we can already pivot to one that's actually going to do something for you. And that's what that's how this really just brings to bear all of the science that has been going on for, for a long time now learning about lung cancer and finding out for you, really personalizing it for the person who got diagnosed, not for a hundred people what statistics come up with for you. And that's really that personalized medicine approach that everyone is pushing for. I want to know what your tumor is. I want to know what your immune system's doing. I want to know how your body reacts to the different medicines we're going to use. And I'm going to use that information and I'm going to focus the best therapy I got because we're gonna we're gonna take the the fight to lung cancer in your body, and it's gonna be different than someone else's, but in yours, we're going straight to it, and we're going to take all my data, and we're gonna fight this thing. Awesome, you know I think you answered the next question that I that I was gonna that I was gonna ask, but just because I feel like there's just so much information uh, uh, that you can provide, and you know we don't have access uh, to doctors in your field as, as often as we can. So I know my audience, uh, you know, a lot of them are really uh, interested in just getting mm -hmm. really deep in the weeds. So I'll go ahead and still ask it. Maybe there's something else that you might want to sure. add to it, but the technology has been changed or the technology has been a game changer in healthcare. Uh, can you discuss a specific te technological advancement that has significantly shortened the discovery to clinical care timeline in yeah. lung cancer treatment? The two I would talk about because I'm a pulmonary doc, right? And that's where I live is lung cancer screening and this, this minimally invasive robotic bronchoscopy or navigational bronchoscopy. Let me start with lung cancer screening first. Since the year of my birth, 1972, we've been trying to figure out how do you screen for lung cancer and we never did it until 2011. Up comes this, this study and it was basically showing that if you were to do an annual CT scan in patients who are at risk, and that's always now age 50 to 80, people who smoke 20 pack years, which is, it's an odd metric, but it's basically if you smoked a pack a day for 20 years or half a pack for 40 years or two packs for 10 years, and you've smoked within the last 15 years, then you qualify for lung cancer screening. Get an annual CT scan with the idea that CAT scans are exquisitely sensitive. They find, almost every lung cancer that's out there. The problem with them is they're actually not very specific. And what that means is 
we see so many things in a, in a person's lung, but 96.4% of the time, it's not cancer. Only a little bit less than 1%, it's actually cancer. But the good news is we can see these, and we've been doing this for the last, say, 30, 40 years. We know what lung cancer does when it grows. So if a little spot is found, these little nodules, and typically if it's in this like six to eight millimeter range or less even, we know there's nothing we can do at that point. The risk of lung cancer is really not great enough to do anything, but we're going to follow it. And we know the general biology, how long does one of these things usually take to sort of increase in size so we can catch it at what I always call the Goldilocks approach, right? You don't want to catch it too soon. You don't want to catch it too late. You got to get that perfect spot. And so by doing this for so long, we know the growth rates of a cancer. We follow up any spot, any little nodule we see on a CAT scan a little bit later. And then with another CAT scan, if it starts to grow, then we can start getting more excited about actually trying to biopsy if it gets to this critical size before it becomes a size where it's going to start to spread around the body. And that's really where lung cancer screening, I think, has just been remarkably instrumental in preventing it. The thing that comes up, though, is now we're going to have all of these small little nodules. And the ones that are growing well, now the question is you want to biopsy them because you got to figure out what is it truly a lung cancer and not just is it lung cancer, what kind of lung cancer is it? Because there's several different varieties out there, all of which get treated just slightly different. In the old days, our old bronchoscopy techniques, we only had what I could see. And so I would put my scope down into someone's lung and we really only could diagnose about 19, 31% of the time, depending if you could even see it, because the scope is just too big. Can't go any deeper down in there, right? And so up comes this thing called navigational bronchoscopy. And there's been several different companies out there that have really pushed this. The one that we have right now is something called shape-shifting technology. It's truly amazing. If you want to go online and look this up, I mean, it's just the technology blows your mind. And basically what it is, it's a catheter. It's got these, uh, what do you call it, fiber optic channels down it. And based on where it bends, it knows where the, the catheter is in space. And so we basically align the patient's body with the CT scan that we've already done. And it makes this lovely overlap. And then that's this, this GPS thing I was talking about before. You put on that, that, that CAT scan, you mark the tumor, you mark what you want to go after. And then I drive my catheter, and it's a much smaller catheter than my bronchoscope, and I can get all the way out to the periphery. And it gets me out there, I make my biopsies. This has been a game changer, if you ask me, because now I can diagnose much smaller tumors where the cure rate is even better than if we actually let it get a little bit bigger, right? And so I'm starting to diagnose lung cancer at, at earlier and earlier stages. And then if you think about it, I would love to be able to do one procedure for someone and learn everything. And if you think about cancer, it's not enough just to know it's cancer. You want to know its stage, stage one being early, stage four being advanced. And so we have this other technique called EBIS, which is an endobronchial ultrasound, where I can look down in the airways. You think about it, I can't see through the walls, but my ultrasound can. And that ultrasound then can help me point out where the lymph nodes are. And so the lymph nodes is where lung cancer often will spread to early. So I just sample every lymph node I can see that's of size. And then by getting a diagnosis of the primary nodule, making sure the lymph nodes are or are not affected, one procedure, I have now given that patient a diagnosis and a stage. 
one procedure, and then as soon as they get it, we, we get them to whatever therapy it is, whether they go to surgery to have it removed, SBRT, which stands for stereotactic body radiation therapy, which is, you might have heard it called like nano knife, gamma knife, cyber knife, something like that. It overlaps these beams of radiation, so it only really, it liquefies the tumor without hurting the rest of the body, like the center part of our body does not deal well with radiation. So they can they can, they can really just put that radiation where they need it to so it doesn't cause off-target side effects. And sadly, if it is you know, already metastatic, let's get you on therapy ASAP because we have really good data that if you, the earlier you get to an advanced stage lung cancer with therapy, the better they do. And so this is just get them there as soon as possible, get a diagnosis, one and done, so that you always get someone as quick as humanly possible to, to, to treatment. When you were, when you were giving that answer, you know, it came, I started thinking about my personal life and I actually have, um, two family members that I've lost to lung illnesses. Right. I'm sorry to hear and, that. and I think one of the things that, uh, the family thinks about is they didn't seek out medical attention as fast as they should have, you know? So my question is, how do you do, how do you address the challenge of ensuring that veterans, uh, are informed and are willing to go out there and uh, or encouraged to go out there, get screened, but are also uh, willing participants in clinical trials because we're such a tight-knit community, this could benefit the entire uh, veteran community. So what I think about is part of it is you just need to get it out there, right? Like if you think about lung cancer screening, 2011 is when it really was officially designated as something that was like something we should be doing. And just to take a little, like a little bit of a, a, a note from, from, from breast cancer. So in 76, it was, a, it was recommended that women get a mammography so that they can prevent breast cancer. It was really not easily taken up. A lot of women were not getting screened for it. Today, even, there's not 100% of women getting screened for, for breast cancer. And everyone knows mammography and breast cancer today. They've done such a great job of advocacy getting it out there. You can't help but walk around with people seeing pink ribbons or save the tatas, you know, all of these really great campaigns. And I just want to take a note from them and do the same thing for lung cancer. Now for, for breast cancer, it took from 76 to 90 to go from a recommendation to get in about 20, 25% of women screened. That's a 16 year delay. You know, if you think about it, we have started to work with social media, we took an outpatient with these postcards that we'll send out to, to, to eligible veterans. We're hitting up the primary care docs. So our lung cancer screening, we do it through the primary care work. When you think about it, they're the people who see the most number of unique veterans. And so everyone uses this computerized patient record system called CPRS in the VA. We've engineered it to make sure that if you meet certain criteria, you're going to talk about it with your primary care doc, and then they're going to do this thing called shared decision making because you don't want to just, you know, you don't ramrod it down someone's someone's throat. You make sure it's something they want. You talk about the, the risks, the benefits, then you do it. And the moment they're in that program, our little clutches get on them. And that's why these lung cancer screening coordinators, uh, and they're really the ones who are working behind the scenes, making sure that that CAT scan gets done. If they miss it, trying to help them out to get it rescheduled, you know, these sorts of things. If there's something scary on it, you jump on it immediately. There is no delays. We don't want delays here. But we know there's some people out in the rural world, right? So, you know, down in Miami, the keys are very difficult for us to be able to get folks up there. 
in some of the other parts around Florida, it's, there's a lot of these rural places that they just can't get there. I talked to my colleagues up in Minnesota. Minnesota is like the most rural place. They have a really difficult time getting up there. And so we're working on trying to get some mobile vans. So if you can't come to us, we'll come to you. You know, we'll try to do these scans and we're trying to learn actually what's the best way to do this. Because sadly, you can't just plug one into the local, uh, what do you call it, target. It'll brown out the target. It takes that much electricity. You know what I mean? So you got to you gotta plan the stuff out so you can get them in there. We're trying to use the vans to get them in there. I'll tell you, the postcard, we sent them out about, I think it was last year, or maybe two years ago. We had to stop it because it was almost too beneficial right like we were overloading our system but we're doing it again because now we've upped our system so we we just want everyone to be able to know about this and get her done because if you really think about lung cancer why is it the number one killer of us because we don't got no nerves there's no nerves in our lung that warn us the only warning that you would get from lung cancer is when it's spread and that's too late if you ask me i want to catch it before it's spread before you feel it the only way to do that is to look for it. And so that's what the CAT scan really does for us. But in terms of the, of the research that we're doing, if you think about these trials that I'm trying to do up here right now, I've got a very sensitive test, the CAT scan. It sees everything, but it sees too much, you might say. It's all like, when you think about 96.4% of the time, what we see is not cancer. We've one, scared the ever-living Jesus out of some people because all of a sudden they're like, oh my God, I got a spot. Two, they're now exposed to radiation to actually get that test. And it's a low dose. We use this low as, as, as least as possible as we can for it. It's really, you get the same radiation from walking around Miami for six months as you do for that CAT scan. So it's, it's not a killer dose of radiation because we don't want to cause disease, but it's still radiation. So when I start to think about, isn't there a better way? And this is where we're partnering with a lot of bio, biomarker uh, uh, trials. And one of the trials is we just look for your blood. And we're looking for did cancer, if there's cancer in your body, did it imprint the genes that are circling around in your blood, gives us that much better of a, a screening tool to learn, is there cancer in your body? And that test actually also then looks to tell us, well, where is it? Is it lung? Is it brain, breast? What is it? What, where did this tumor come from? And we're partnering then with our lung cancer screening people. Like I was saying, we take our lung cancer screening coordinators and after they're done talking to the veteran about their, their, their results or of their CAT scan or what we need to do, we ask them if they want to be involved with some of our trials. What I find is, you know, sadly, if you think about some of the older trials, things like Tuskegee, there was a lot of hepatitis, excuse me, there was a lot of hepatitis C research that was done in the past that just wasn't well done. If we always think about the Nazis and the Japanese in World War II and the things they were doing, you know, those people poisoned what otherwise is a critically necessary thing. We haven't cured disease yet. And until we do, we gotta learn about it, but you gotta do it right. So I actually teach clinical ethics over at the university because I feel real strongly about this. If you're gonna come into my program and we're gonna, you're gonna help me learn something, I'm gonna make sure that your rights are respected because you, as the person coming into my program, are more important than the research. We can never put the rights of society over the rights of the individual. And that's just, that is a hard and fast no-go. You just never do that. And so I'd like to make sure that at least the research program that I got going at the Miami VA, everyone knows this. I actually teach this to everybody. I make sure we are always above table. We are always chatting with people about this. Everyone knows right off the bat, you you can join if you'd like to. And if you wanted to, if you want to leave us, no questions asked. 
you will always get the exact same clinical care, whether you're in my study or whether you're not in my study. Whether you're in my study and you left, I still don't care. My goal is to prevent lung cancer from doing anybody, but I want to learn. And I can only learn by studying it. And that's really where we, we've, tried to, we've tried to engineer a, 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 a culture at the Miami VA particularly and at some of the other places. So when I think about LPOP, we actually had all seven VAs in Florida and Puerto Rico. And this is our, the idea is that we're really pushing this, this culture change. Because you think about it, you, everybody wants excellence in their clinical medicine, but no one really knows what that means. And to me, what that means is you got to have state-of-the-art clinical care, like we've already been talked about, but also the opportunity to be part of cutting-edge research. Because only when we do that do we actually then provide someone with the absolute best care we can. Like, hands down, I'm going to throw everything in the kitchen sink at your disease because not only do I want to cure your disease, I want to prevent it for the next veteran. And that's that's the way I feel. You know, this is what I, this is my persona coming into the Visinate LPOP. This is the way I want to push lung cancer care at the Miami VA. And I should say at Vision 8 VAs where, where that's where my little LPOP is, is headquartered. Is, is this something that was started in Miami and, uh, or was this something that you and your colleagues uh, kind of, brought forth or how did that how did LPOP start and, and was, was it challenging just because there's a lot of information that I'm just listening to right now and it just feels like it's a, it's, a, it's a very it was a big process to get this to function where, where it's at right now it is I wish I could say I had anything to do with starting it I was just the recipient um, this is something that the VA up in DC started like national headquarters started and they started first with this national precision oncology program and then it's sort of come down to different disease processes. They have one called PopCat for prostate, and this is LPOP for lung. And, and it was kind of amazing, right? When the pandemic started, we applied for this uh, grant, basically, to be a part of it. Um, it was really interesting at the time. They made us really jump through a lot of hoops to try to determine what is it we were going to do. And I think just thinking back to those times, it was frustrating going through that because I didn't know what they wanted, right? But they always kind of had this like, we know it when we see it sort of an idea. And what I feel like that did for me, even though I had to, it was kind of frustrating jumping through all these hoops, I had to really develop what it was we were going to do down here in Vision 8. And I have, I had a couple people with me. So there's, there's three of us that are basically the, the, the co-PIs of the, of the entire uh, Vision 8 LPOP. And we always had to have these meetings and talk it out. And it was kind of that idea, like, if you're just given it, it doesn't mean the same, but when you have to earn it, then it becomes that thing that it's like, this is, this is our baby. And so we really had to like jump through some hoops and earn it. And that's where I feel like we've got a little, I don't want to say a chip on our shoulder, but we've got this motivation. And this motivation was born out of just the constant being told that's not it. Try again, sort of an idea. And so we really developed our, everything we're doing in Vision 8 because we had so many of our of our our leaders telling us you know we need something else we need something more and at the time it's frustrating but now I love it I love the idea that we kind of created this empirically based on how you walk through everyone's everyone's critiques right and that it becomes this thing that I'm I couldn't be prouder to be a part of I mean this has really been just the highlight of my career to be part of something like this where we just 
we have these meetings like bi-monthly and everyone's on them and everyone cares for everybody. Everyone works together. Everybody is just very collaborative. Like it's a big family that I got a part of. And we just have this common mission and are pushing for things. And we're always trying to do like outreaches and, and like there's a stair climb thing. Uh, I think it's called fight to breathe or something like that, that we're all kind of be a part of. Uh, Lung Force has these, these walks that we want to be a group. And we're, we're focusing on like Visionate LPOP as a group to get out that message to everyone out there so that we can. So when there are people out there who are suffering and they just don't know what they have it, I want to make sure they get that information because you can't suffer in silence. So I shouldn't say that you shouldn't suffer in silence, but we know people do and they do it because why would you otherwise know it's there? If someone's not beating down your door and telling you about it, you're not going to seek out what you don't know is there. And so we want to make sure that everyone knows this. We actually have a really big fair coming up here in the middle of November since November's Lung Cancer Awareness Month. Right there at the VA, November 15th, it's a Wednesday. We're going to have people, you can drive the robot if you want to. We're going to have all these talks, these expert panels. We're going to have all the different groups because if you think about it, all we've actually been talking about is clinical care for your lung cancer. But that sort of forgets that there's a whole body attached around that lung cancer. And so we have the whole health people coming in there. We got the people talking about uh, like suicide prevention, smoke and cessation, which is important regardless if you've been diagnosed or not. We make sure we got mental health in there. We got acupuncturists coming in there, really doing the idea that lung cancer is not a disease. It's something that afflicts the whole body. And if you neglect to treat that entire body, you're blowing it. You're not giving appropriate care. So that whole health idea of really pushing people, making sure that we treat the entire body, not just the disease. And you and you hit on the head, you know, sometimes uh, people uh, suffer, suffer in silence when they shouldn't. Right. So, yeah. uh, you know, that that's something sad, but hopefully, you know, with uh, with constant information, uh, you know, and messaging that that's available to our audience and our veterans, uh, you know, that's that should change their, their mind and right. help them come in to get those screenings and talk to the primary care providers. Uh, this is actually a good moment to just as all the episodes uh, mentioned to my audience, if uh, if you're a veteran or if you have any family members or f uh, friends that are veterans and that are not enrolled in the VA healthcare system, please do so. Um, take the time, either go into a clinic, uh, go into a VA medical uh, center, or, uh, or go online at va.gov. I'll, I'll go ahead and transition right now from a sad emotion to maybe a happy one, which is, uh, can you pinpoint a defining moment or a success story uh, that, you, that stands out for you, that you've uh, taken a heart? I can think of several. Um, two of them actually are before El Papa. They're basically what what motivated me. I would say to really keep pushing when everyone kept saying no. You know, it's sometimes hard when you keep getting told no, 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 to to stop, right? But we we know it's not win or fail, right? There's always this idea that you either win the game or you fail, but it's actually you fail, 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 fail before you win the game, but. But it's sometimes hard, you know, when you're always failing to get there. I actually just learned this thing the other about a couple of months ago that we no longer say win or fail. We say win or learn. So every time that you're not actually succeeding in what you want to do, you're now learning. Why am I not? So you can readdress that 
try again. It's just that idea. You never give up. And, and part of it was driven. One of it is my really good friends, this guy named Brian, and he's, he said it's okay to talk about this. But he was diagnosed with, with lung cancer in his small intestine, which is a very unusual place to be diagnosed. And at the time, it's metastatic, which means you don't do surgery, you don't do those things, right? He was basically going to get grandpa's chemo because this is now given away about 11 years ago when he was diagnosed and the VA pushed for him. You know, the, the docs at the VA pushed and they were like, you know, he's an otherwise healthy guy. It's a single metastasis outside of the lung. Let's try. So he had his small intestine, part of it removed. He had the lung part removed. He underwent chemotherapy and knock on wood. He's with us today. He's actually, he's one of the best parts of what I do because he's, he's one of my study coordinators for that, that blood test, uh, you know, uh, uh, what do you call it? The blood test, um, screening for cancer t uh, study that we have ongoing. And it's amazing. He has, he has that in him. He's really good at helping people understand what it is and, and getting people to help out. So we learn more about it. But you think about that, that the VA pushed, they really stepped up and they really pushed for that man to do well. There's another guy I always use this thing about, you know, how many holidays that someone get, I'll never forget him. He had a bad tumor and it was sitting right where it shouldn't be in the middle of his chest where it wasn't surgical. And I remember it was like end of November and he asked me, he was like, Hey doc, am I going to make Christmas? And I was like, sure, this you'll make Christmas. You know, and he's like, am I going to make next Christmas? And I didn't know what to say. And he said, say no more. You just, you just told me everything I need to know. Do you know what I mean? Well, we checked him out for that PDL one thing I was talking about and his was highly expressed. He took immunotherapy and he's now, I think on his ninth Christmas. It's that, that, that's the reason you do this. You're right. Like I see him walking around. The man's wonderful. He's he has knock on wood, no evidence of disease. He you know, you would never know it by looking at him. Just love the man. He he just he, he imbued that spirit that if you find it and treat it, you get options like this. But I see other people who don't. I see people who came in late. You know, that's part of my job. I mean, we don't really get a chance always to pick when someone gets screened and you find them late and it breaks your heart to see this stuff. You, it breaks your heart to find these metastatic diseases that you wish you had seen maybe one or two years ago. So when LPOP come around, I thought about these guys, that this is, this is the reason you do this. You do this because I will never want to find someone too late. And so as LPOP started, one of the things we started to think about was, are we actually doing a good job? And so I think about our lung cancer screening program. We run it through the primary care network. We have dedicated people trying to keep them in there, following them up calling them up when they miss. I mean, you could say like, well, they missed, that's on them. But you know what? That seems a little bit draconic, right? I would rather say you miss, sir. What can I reschedule it for you at a more convenient time, you know, to really try to work with them to help out and get it done? Because yeah, it's their, you know, it's, you could say it's their responsibility to make their appointment, but we all know appointments get lost in the mail, things happen, you forget. And if someone's not there helping you out, maybe you missed it that year, next year, well, it's a year too late. And so I feel like we wanted to build a more, I want to say, nurturing, caring program where we're trying to help to make sure that people, it's not lost in the mail. It didn't just slip your mind. It's we analyzed our data. And so if you look at it, sadly, right now, in the, out, out in the United States, only about 5% of eligible people get screened for lung cancer. And then we looked at our numbers here at the Miami VA, and we did this about, I want to say it's now, I can't believe it's two years now, but two years ago, we had set, we had we had screened 21.3% of the eligible population. That's a 3.7-fold improvement. 
that to me was a, we are making an impact. And the fact that we've had to had we actually had to stop them postcards. Like it's amazing. There's about there's the most number of veterans in in Florida. So we do the most number of screenings for lung cancer, and we're at about thirty three thousand, of which eleven thousand are actually in our program all across the the, the Floridian Peninsula and Puerto Rico. That's wonderful. And that number just continues to enlarge as we continue to get the word out, we can advocate for it as people start talking about it. As it and you know, the research part of it has been remarkably fulfilling. I now have people coming up to me in clinic and saying they want to be part of my, my, my trials. And so I'll ask them, well, which trial do you want to be a part of? And they say, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't care. I just want to be a part of this. And that's, that's been this, I think that's been even one of the greatest things, right? That We've made an impact. Our group, our LPOP group has made an impact on the entire institution that they want to be part of our studies. They want to help out that they broke that ice between the whole idea about, I don't want to be a guinea pig. I don't want to get some experimental drug, which I don't, I, I understand. I completely understand. I don't blame people at all for that, but that's where I want to educate people and I want to be forthright and I want to be very transparent in what we're doing. And if it's good for you, please help us out. If it's not good for you, I'm still treating you. But the idea that people come to me in clinic and ask me to be a part of stuff, but they don't even know what it is. That means our impact from LPOP is just so pervasive that people want to work with us. And that's that, that's the thing that, that just blows my mind when I think about LPOP. This is a, it's a program and we could just be running it, but we've now sort of got all these people. They're not being paid by LPOP. They're veterans, they're patients. I've got people who are just interested in helping us out because we have this mission focused approach. We are taking the fight to lung cancer and people want to be a part of it, whether you're a, a provider, whether you're a, a veteran, whether you're a spouse, it doesn't matter. We're taking that fight to lung cancer because we've created this culture, this sort of familial culture that we're in this together. We're there for each other. We are going to do this. You know, go, going back to uh, maybe some of the barriers that you, yeah. you see veterans facing uh, when ac accessing lung cancer care, how does LPOP um, address these, these issues, these barriers for, for the veterans? I think the biggest barrier is just getting in and getting able to get that scan. And that's, that's I think, the getting individuals to know about it, to know it's even something to ask about. Like I want a person to go to their primary care doctor and say, why didn't we talk about lung cancer screening? And maybe they're not a candidate and that's why they didn't talk about it, but it needs to be something that they know about. And, and, and the docs already know about it, but sometimes, you know, docs, especially primary care docs, I feel for them. They're so overwhelmed with all the things that they need to do. And we want to try to, which we've, we've tried to engineer this program so it's as easy as possible for them to get them enrolled in the program. And then we just take over from that point on. But it's that getting the access, getting that start. Once, I'll tell you, once my screeners have access to somebody, they're in, right? And they're amazing. They follow, oh, it's amazing how well they'll follow people up. It's getting in. How do you get that person in there? And I think, it's sad to say it, but I think the VA gets its teeth kicked in by a reputation. There's all this, all these things that came up. If you think about like, I think it was down in Phoenix, they had that list, you know, and that, that there's always this concern, well, you just don't get the same care at a VA as you get at the university, which I got to tell you, I work at the university and I work at the VA and I know that's absolute hogwash. There is just no way. 
there is absolutely no way that the VA care is suboptimal. And part of it is like, why would I do that? I mean, I'm a doc at both places. It hurts me when my patients don't do well. I see it though. I, I am putting my heart and soul, whether we're regardless of where I'm at, but the VA, because we're like this largest healthcare system in the country, we're now actually able to really push and learn and get these systems in place. At the university, I got to tell you, lung cancer screening is just, it's a little bit more difficult to do. We don't have the way to do it as well. It's not that we're not doing it. We're trying as hard as we can, but the VA has this system of through CPRS that we are getting these patients in there. We're tracking them. We're able to follow them up. We've got the systems in place for it. There was a study though, I'll tell you, it came out hmm, maybe a month or two ago and it really showed that people actually get better care in the VA than they do in, in the solid civilians hospitals. And, you know, I think our problem, we don't, we don't talk about this. We don't toot our horn. You don't see commercials on TV for go see your VA, but you'll see it for, you know, all the other hospitals around there, then they're, they're advertising for it, but we don't. It was something I was talking to this guy, Drew Moganaki. He's got one of those really amazing studies that can only be done in the VA. And he says the same thing. We just cannot, we, or should not, cannot, we just don't advertise ourselves. We don't toot our horns, but we're transparent, which I think is great. I would rather be transparent. I know some of the same things that the, you know, the VA gets its teeth kicked in about happens at other hospitals. It's just, they're not as transparent as a government institution. And everyone loves kicking the government when something bad happens. That's just what happens, right? I love the VA. I think the VA does an awesome job at treating treating veterans. And and I don't see a drop off at all. In fact, I have to agree with that study. I actually see the VA doing an amazing job at treating our veterans. It just, people just don't know it. And I think you know, that's a barrier because they don't know that they can come and get their full on care at a VA. It's one building in Miami that has everyone in it. We've got all these little C box, you know, they're all over the place, but that main building downtown Miami, has got everything you would want. You need it. It's there for you. And, and that's, it's, a, it's, it, it makes me sad that people don't know that they can just come up and they can get everything they need right there. Yeah, that's, you know, and, and that's a that's a great answer, uh, and it's also something that I, I need to focus on because this is what Born the Battle is. You know, we're trying to get as much information out to the audience, and uh, and we're going to do the best we can to push it out nationwide, social media, and, and definitely reiterate all the services and resources that the VA is is, uh, is giving to our our veteran community. I'm uh, a member of the the Miami VA MC. Uh, actually, my uh, my clinic is the one up here in in Broward, uh, off Commercial v- Boulevard. Nice. Um, but uh, the LPOP is something that any veteran can get nationwide in, in the continental United States. Is you know they, they don't have to worry about like, hey, I need to go to this other state to get it. It's everywhere. Yeah, so it's a nationwide program. I think there's about twenty different sort of they call them hubs. The idea behind it is they want a hub and spoke model. In Florida, we're a little bit different because we're sort of a three-headed hub, like a three-headed monster kind of an idea. But usually there's one hub within every vision in the continental U.S. And then there's spoke sites where it tends to be like the major medical centers around, the, around that vision. Like if you just think about us, Miami, Tampa, and Bay Pines, there are hubs. Um, spokes you can think about as Orlando, Gainesville, West Palm Beach, and, and, and Puerto Rico. What I'm really trying, what I want to do in Vision 8 is that 
although those are the way they want to classify it, I want to actually try to empower all of our different VAs to be a hub and that other places can be spokes if they have a trial or something they want to do, maybe a quality improvement project. I want people to be able to take the lead and then use this, this network that we have. So we meet once a month as a nationwide program for LPOP and it's phenomenal because you always have people with great ideas and they're just looking for additional sites to come on board or answer questionnaires. I think we actually have now something over a hundred of the different VAs now who attend this meeting. And the idea is that if someone has a really great idea, you want other people to be involved all over the nation. Like this one study that I'm starting up we're looking at how well this thing called a PET CT scan can actually predict your final lung cancer diagnosis. It's going to change. I've got some preliminary data in Miami, but it's going to change if you're in the Midwest where we've got this histoplasmosis fungus that complicates everything or coccidio down in, 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 the, in the southwestern part of the, of the country, crypto in the northwest. Like these changes uh, in, in regional variation of how things are are important. You don't want to just say, well, what happened in Miami happens everywhere. You want to study it. So we have these groups all over the country that allow us all to feed data together. And then there's like this coordinating center up in New Haven, Connecticut that can help out with like statistical help because it's, I mean, now you really need that. There's a guy named Anant Matabushi over there in the Atlanta VA. He's like our artificial intelligence guru with this guy, Michael Gilkey, like really impressive the, the resources now that we're starting to just bring to bear, and we're in our infancy, if you ask me. Like it's been, what is it, 2020 we started, but it takes a while to get stuff up and running, and we are, I think, in our infancy from really tapping into that potential. And so any veteran anywhere in one of these visions has an LPOP hub and spoke around them that all of these things that we're trying to do as a group, as this national group, anybody can become a part of. Because you, you just, you would, you got to leverage the VA. You know, we always joke around that if you go into one VA, you've seen them all. You know, it's got the same paint job, the same stairs, you know, it's got the same food in the cafeteria. And as much as we joke around about that, it's actually a great thing that we have the same laboratory system. We've got the same computerized patient record system. We've got the same imaging. We've got the same credentials. So we can work as this giant network across the nation to really push our science forward. Okay. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a great answer. This is actually the last question that I have, but I think this is a really important question. Um, looking toward the future, uh, what are your hopes for the evolution of lung cancer treatment and care within the VA? And how do you see LPOP contributing to this vision? So within LPOP, we have a lot of people interested in smoking cessation. I'm one of them. I've done a, a trial actually for trying to pay people to quit smoking that was pretty successful. But there's a lot of people within LPOP who also have great ideas, I want to say, about how we get people to quit smoking. And I think you know, when you think about smoking being the highest risk of lung cancer, if we can stop that, that's going to be a great thing. And to be able to do some of these trials through LPOP is just going to facilitate getting that data out there so that we know how best to do this. We want people to stop picking it up. We want people to be able to quit. We want people to be have a durable uh, smoking cessation. But then as I think about it also, you know, we really are focused a lot on lung cancer screening. And right now we're working at who does need to be screened. We know, we know that that population age 50 to 80, 
20 pack year smoking history, smoked in the last 15 years. But what about the people exposed to burn pits? What about the people who were exposed to Saddam Hussein when he burned up the oil out there or depleted uranium or they were part of the ammunition that was was uh, when it was when it's going off, like all of those individuals are also likely at risk, but we don't screen them right now, but need to. And I see all of these great ideas without the, throughout the LPOP uh, group who are interested in trying to learn how do we screen for cancer in these individuals? And I feel like that's where LPOP comes in. We have got great minds in LPOP and they're really working hard trying to figure out who needs to be screened and who doesn't need to be screened? Because that's almost as important when you think about it. You don't want to screen people who it's not going to help. You would hate to put someone through a CAT scan if it wasn't going to help them. That, that would waste their time and expose them to unnecessary radiation. And so you really want to make sure that we get the right people. And that's what LPOP is doing. But then we know lung cancer is not just going to go away. Like non-smoking lung cancer is actually the seventh leading cause of, of cancer in, in the country. And actually, there was a report that just came out that's, that is both dumbfounding and baffling to me. Um, women aged 35 to 54 are now being diagnosed with lung cancer more than men, and it's increasing, and they're, they're non-smokers. We, we don't understand this. So we know that we're pretty much always going to have lung cancer. And so the idea to really get that precision oncology open up the tumors, see what's going on in there, and then truly try to target only what went wrong. So you destroy the tumor without hurting the, the patient. That's where LPOP just continues to build these networks so we can get these people into those studies. I mean, when you think about some of these mutations, like one of the mutations that we are, we have a study on right now is called the, the um, what do you call it? The, the G12C RAS mutation. This is a, a lesion that comes up in about 14% of our tumors, so about one in seven. It's been really hard to recruit for that because you have to find them. And that's just, it's a one in seven uh, look, but that's actually the mo one of the more frequent mutations we have out there. You think of some of the other ones that are like 1%, 2%. Now you're looking at trying to find these needles in the haystack. You can only really do that when you've got a network who is looking for that so you can you can you can give that opportunity to a veteran who has one of these rare mutations to be part of one of these studies so that we can learn is this the best drug to help them cure their lung cancer and so lpop by these networks really pushing hard to try to get anybody who has these who could be a a, a member of those those studies to give them that opportunity so we learn and we really continue to figure out how do we how do we take this fight to lung cancer greg thank you thank you for uh for taking time to come on the show I, th I think the information you have given our audience is is so crucial and uh, i think many many people are going to benefit from from knowing this just like any other episode of born the battle we are going to have an accompanying um, blog with uh, with a lot of information, um, we'll we'll uh, ask you and your team, Greg, if you guys want us to include any any links within the blog, and uh, and you'll yeah. also be able to listen to this episode on that blog itself on the article. But nice. but uh, the episode is is going to be available uh, through different podcatchers. So uh, please feel free to share this episode with uh, with friends, family, and uh, and others in the veteran community. Um, with that said, uh, Greg, is there a specific website you would want to just mention right now before uh, we close the episode? Uh, maybe some somewhere uh, that uh, our audience can go to. 
Yeah, we have a um, the Vision 8 LPOP website. So if you just Google that, basically, you'll find it within the intranet, or I should say it's the internet of, of the VA medical centers, uh, the national center. We have a, 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 a website for LPOP, the total program, and then we're developing them for the individual. And we've got a guy down here in Miami who's been really driving that um, process. And so if you go on it, you'll see that Miami VA is actually sort of prominently um, displayed there because we, that's just where we started it. Um, but that webpage has a lot of links to the different things we've been talking about, um, really trying to get um, information out there, ways that you could then contact the different lung cancer screening. If you think you're a candidate and haven't been approached, how do you get into that's in there? And a lot of educational things as well is ultimately going to be put on there so that we can, at your leisure, you can get the education that you feel like you need. Because sometimes, you know, it's, you'll be diagnosed with something or you'll have a nodule and you don't really understand what that means. And so, we're, we're trying to put on there a lot of educational stuff for people so that at your leisure, after hours, you know, after after you've left the clinic, you can kind of just start to go through that part of it. Absolutely. So the, and that that those Web pages, we're going to make sure to link on on the article itself. Excellent. Greg, it's, uh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, once again, thank you for taking the time and, and coming on here and, and talking about LPOP. And uh, thank you so much. Have a uh, have a great day weekend and uh, hopefully i'll see you down in uh, in november for uh for the event well we would love to have you down there we'd love to have everyone down there i think it's going to be remarkable i mean the the ability to drive the robot we're going to have the robot there so if you want to come down and just experience what it would be like to drive the robot come on down and see how to do it because they're gonna the the company's bringing a model and we're going to be able to drive it through some some plasticized lungs i think it's going to be amazing Oh, absolutely. But we're also going to have so much more data down there, too. You're going to be able to ask your questions. So please come with your questions. We're even going to have a place that you could put them in beforehand so that we can address them. You know, if sometimes people feel uncomfortable speaking out loud, we'll just have a way to do that. Uh, it'll be on the website uh, so that we can make sure that we really get everyone's questions answered because, you know, we just we got to beat lung cancer. No one should die of lung cancer. That's just a given. Absolutely. And uh, for the for our veterans here in the Miami area or near the Miami area, I'll go ahead and also include that information in the article. So if you guys want to go down there and uh, and see Greg and, and learn more about uh, the LPOP and, and just different stuff that the VA is providing uh, for lung cancer. Um, yeah, you'll, you'll have that information there. Thank you very much, Greg. And uh, for our Thank audience, you. we'll see you next time.